Welcome to the Good Journeys with Second Mountain, the podcast that shines a spotlight on inspiring people and their inspired stories. Coming up on this episode... We need to have a regenerative economy that works for everyone. We can't continue with this situation where our population is being mined by megacorp organisations that genuinely do not care about the quality of what's going into your mouth but also the impact of where the pound is spent and it's something that i am so passionate about like we are not here to take business away from another independent business down the road that's just not what we're doing and i think all too often independent businesses and brands are like in competition when they really shouldn't be we are here to take market share away from the big boys and show that there is a better way hello and welcome to the purpose-driven podcast good journeys with second mountain i'm your host and the founder of second mountain comms ben veal i set up my business with one aim to help good people do good and it's a real pleasure to welcome my guest on the show today who shares the same passion for helping others, but does it through purpose-powered coffee. Joining me on the Good Journeys pod today is Helena Hills, CEO and co-founder of True Start Coffee, a carbon-negative B Corp certified family-run business that makes delicious, healthy and energising coffee. Alongside her husband, Simon, Helena has taken this challenger brand to incredible heights during the course of the last eight years. Over 20 million feel-good moments have now been celebrated over a cup or can of True Start coffee, with the brand also removing 12 and a half tonnes of sugar from UK diets every year. Packed with antioxidants, True Start's coffee is good for both people and the planet, and Helena will explain exactly what that means on today's show. Diagnosed with ADHD as a child, Helena is also a self-described neurodiversity champion who has been on a real journey of self-discovery herself in recent years and now considers ADHD to be a key ingredient in driving TreeStart forward. TreeStart's signature positive energy is spreading far and wide and can now be found in over 2,000 retail outlets and hundreds of offices across the UK. I can't wait to speak with Helena today for what I have no doubt will be a truly inspiring conversation. But before we dive into that, please do subscribe and give the Good Journeys polls a big thumbs up or five-star rating, however you're tuning in today. Join in and let us know what you think, what you think using the hashtag GoodJourneysPod as your support helps us to keep sharing inspired stories and inspiring people. Right, let's get on with today's episode. Helena, welcome to the Good Journeys pod. How are you today? Hey Ben, I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see your face. <laughs> yeah, you too, you too. And your lovely hair, as always. And your hair. Thank you. One does try, one does try. So look, I've given you the big bio. That's the big introduction. I'm always pleased when they're out of the way. Um, yeah. But I think they're very important for setting the scene, especially for someone like yourself who's been on such a great purpose-driven journey to date. So I'd love to start with that purpose. Can you please tell me what's the story behind True Start? How did you and um, Simon found this business? And most importantly, what's the overarching purpose behind it all? Awesome, absolutely. So you've already mentioned that True Start, we're, we're an ethical Bristol-based family business and we make absolutely delicious, healthier coffee to make you feel absolutely amazing. So the whole reason True Start exists on this planet is to spread just massive positive energy and make people feel good. That's really, the coffee is incredible, but actually it's really a vehicle for that feeling. We really think that energy is contagious 
And if we can use our incredible coffee and coffee turns out is a great vehicle for making for any energy, <laughs> making people feel good. If we can use tree start to spread more positive energy, it will create this like butterfly effect, yeah. you know, and people will hopefully pass that on. And um, yeah, I mean, my husband, we've been going for eight years now, which is weird because it simultaneously feels like my whole life <laughs> and also five minutes, like all at the same time. Um, I think that's it when you have when it when it's your own brand and it's all consuming I felt that three years into Second Mountain like it it takes over doesn't it yeah oh yeah definitely and because Simon and I obviously so he's my husband as well as my co-founder like we're always together <laughs> so it, yeah. it, it does feel yeah it's it's really like a blend you're you're, thing. you're brave doing that I think my my wife would last five minutes working with me in fact I know she did during the start of the pandemic when I had an incredible idea of saying why don't we share an office space together at home and we lasted an hour before she said I can't I can't bear your awful music and you're really loud <laughs> typing and that was it that's hilarious I think it works for Simon because we were like totally different skills we're on the same page in terms of where Tree starts going what we want for the business everything but we have very different skill sets so it is really complementary so it does work um luckily yeah. <laughs> but yeah we had the original idea for like a healthy coffee ages ago nine years ago well over a year before true start actually launched and we were doing Ironman triathlon training and um oh, back then we thought we were busy we didn't have a business we didn't have kids <laughs> um but we thought we were busy so we had these triathlons going on and busy jobs I was doing a lot of driving with work particularly and um obviously we were training for these events as well so drinking fundamentally like absolutely loads of coffee I'm sensitive to caffeine believe it or not for somebody who's got a coffee business and I was noticing that sometimes I would have a coffee and I would get like jitters and heart palpitations and then mm. other times I wouldn't feel anything at all and I'd need like several <laughs> coffees to get going and because we were so in this like triathlon world we were really interested in sports nutrition and just started to like learn more about caffeine and coffee and what it does for our brain and body because actually it is really great to have a coffee before like you train and um, so we wanted to learn more about what it actually did and in doing that we found out that the caffeine level in coffee, this is absolutely mind blowing, varies low, like wildly. In a cup, you don't know whether you're drinking like 30 milligrams of caffeine or over, you can be drinking over 600 milligrams in a cup. Yikes. And we're like, this is absolutely mental. Like surely we're not the only people in the world who think a reliably caffeinated coffee that makes you feel good every time it doesn't give you the crash doesn't give you the jitters surely that would be in like a good idea yeah. <laughs> and then um, basically it turns out that it's not that easy to do so that's why nobody had done it um, before but we we really believed in that idea and couldn't quite believe that it hadn't been done before considered before so we learned about all the variables that affect caffeine levels in coffee and there are loads loads like everything from the bean, the brew method, but even like the rainfall on that crop. Um, and very long story short, we created like a sourcing, like a hyper-selective sourcing process, but more importantly, a testing process to make sure that the caffeine level in our coffee is consistent. And we launched eight years ago as the first and still the only coffee in the world <laughs> that has like a reliably 
caffeinated, like a stable level of caffeine. So you know you're going to feel great every time, yeah. but no crash, no jitters. We also test for other things like antioxidants and making sure there's no heavy metals, no mycotoxins. So the overall health profile of TrueStart is really awesome. Yeah, we launched day one with Simon and I in a field um, near Taunton with about 20 people that were running like a really rubbish little 10K event, like really, really tiny little race. Yeah. And then um, we rocked up and it was like drizzling and raining and just quite miserable. And <laughs> you know, it's really early yeah. in the morning that these things often are. We had like way too much stuff. Like we had like Simon's whole family, <laughs> a big tent and lo loads of music. And we rocked up and we were giving out shots of true start and we had all the energy and we we're like have an awesome race and people perked up like they switched on you could you could see it happen did their run came back and were like bouncing around this is pb coffee i got a pb and um, amazing we just sort of saw firsthand immediately like so early on the impact you can have the meaningful genuine impact you can have on someone's day with a cup of well massive amounts of positive energy a barrage of positive energy and then obviously a cup of true start and that is how we started and then the next three years or so we were at events like small events but then bigger and bigger and bigger like three times a week that's how we built the brand in the early years it's, it's incredible because I, I had no idea until I was researching for interviewing you I had no idea about the the different variants in in caffeine levels what I mean it feels like a no-brainer that this should have happened years ago and yeah, but others should be doing it. Why, why do you think it is that you guys are doing it, but the rest of the industry maybe hasn't caught up? Yeah, I think it always, it's interesting because I was on like breakfast news talking about this a couple of months ago because periodically the media pick up a story and this particular time a couple of months ago, there was a study that went into like all the high street coffee shops and measured the caffeine levels in the car and they saw this huge variation. <laughs> and then someone's told them to get in touch with me because I've been banging on about that variation for eight years. And I was on being interviewed about it because yeah I think um previously the focus for consistency with coffee was just on like the flavor profile the taste and having the same taste every time and maybe even when we started health was actually quite niche it's quite unbelievable even the pandemic how much the last few years has accelerated a lot in terms of health consciousness in the masses eight years ago it was we were really focused on sport when we started and true start very quickly gained fantastic traction in the sports niche but from a mass market perspective no one really cared about the caffeine level in their coffee and they're actually kind of really didn't want to talk about it mm. or know about it so i think it's just been because coffee is culturally a part of who we are. We've drunk it for so long, just enjoying it. I don't know if people have subconsciously gone, I have it for a boost, but I'm not interested in like finding out about that, caffeine. I guess yeah. that's my, I guess that's my question to you is, you know, from a societal perspective, do we equate coffee with, you know, a bit like a drug as in we need this to give us a boost to get us through the day over pleasure? Because I, I certainly had a, I definitely had a period and this was when my, my youngest child was very young where I went into a real caffeine overdrive central and all of those things you're talking about, you know, the headaches, the heart palpitations. And I was having five, six cups of coffee a day. I was yeah. having coffee at six, seven o'clock in the evening. I was yeah. then struggling to sleep. There's a shocker. Um, yeah. you know, and I've had to really, really herb my coffee intake yeah. um, because there's something that I, I, I love the taste of it and I love the experience of having a coffee. Do you think yeah. maybe for, for, for some people, 
coffee just is more about actually the boost than it is the taste. I think coffee means something quite unique to everyone, if I'm honest, like being in this world all day, every day, you really see how important coffee is to people, whether they know it or not. It really is. It's like a ritual for people. For me, <laughs> I feel like it's sometimes like my I have unmedicated ADHD and it's not until later in life that I realise like caffeine increases the dopamine availability in your brain, which really helps me understand why it calms me down because ADHD is a fundamental low okay. dose um, condition. And um, for me, it's, it is my source of um, calm, which is quite strange, isn't it? Because it, it, it's a boost for others. I think it means something really unique to yeah. everyone. Yeah, no, I think that's interesting. For me, I equate drinking coffee with relaxing and reading a book that's like my daily ritual that was my moment of joy that I cultivated during the pandemic that I now carve into every morning for yeah. me it's for me it's the it is that pocket of calm paradoxically yeah. so I do get it I get where you're coming from okay so it's a way of people connecting people often meet up for a coffee mm -hmm. and it's a way for taking a minute to yourself because for me I take that minute and I have my calming cup of truce and that enables me to go out and absolutely smash whatever I'm needing to do that day and yeah Coffee um, is very well researched now to be actually very good for us. Um, there's so much research out there, quite a recent one, a nurse's study um, that shows that drinking, I think it was three or four or more cups of coffee in a day reduces your risk of stroke by 25% compared with non-drinkers. It's the densest source of antioxidants in the Western diet. There are so many really positive reasons to be enjoying a caffeinated cup of coffee. Um, but as with anything, it's like we need sugar in our lives, um, but not too much and not sort of the wrong um, vehicle of sugar and caffeine. Yeah. yeah. So I guess, you know, uh, you, you hear three or four cups of coffee and immediately I, I go a bit into panic mode because I think back to what that did to me. So how do you how do you um, three or four cups of coffee means nothing if you don't know how much caffeine's in there? Yes, that's what I was going to say. So how do you know what is a healthy coffee? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we focus, we believe that coffee is really good for you. Like all coffee is good for you because it is the densest source of antioxidants in the Western diet. There is so much research into the reduction of like chronic heart conditions and even Alzheimer's. And there's so much interesting research, quite a lot on our website as well, if people want to go into detail. However, we believe that people should have transparency and really know what they're drinking and consuming. I think the variation in caffeine for, as a starter for 10 is similar to going into the supermarket, picking up a bottle of wine and not knowing whether it's 40% or 4%. And that is just absolutely bonkers. So I think if you are in control of what you're putting into your body, you can be a lot more health conscious. So for us, we're actually testing the things that make coffee good for you and healthy to ensure that actually ultimately in your cup there are plenty of antioxidants there is a stabilized level of caffeine 75 milligrams in a teaspoon of our instant coffee that's going to give you a boost but it's not going to send you off the charts and we also test for things like heavy metals and mycotoxins which is like a mold you don't want those things in your coffee and they can find their way into some coffees so we test for all of that stuff and that makes it very clean, very, and, and make sure that it's actually healthy for you, you know? Yeah. 
and the coffee itself is incredible quality the coffee comes from where i used to live in colombia so it's delicious yeah so i was gonna i was gonna ask about sourcing so how have you gone about in terms of kind of finding the right sourcing partners to give you the, the right beans for your coffee so i spent some time living in south america many feels yeah. like about a lifetime ago and i when we started true start i was like we literally have to get our coffee from colombia because it's the best coffee yep. in the world i've yep. always that and even now every time I'm drinking a cup of true star I am literally transported back there so it was always important to us that we started there we do have fast forward eight years we've got different coffees it's, it's our signature house um roast is our Colombian but we do have coffees from other parts of the world but the Colombian coffee was always always going to be the one for us I know that a really big part of this message that you trade on is is better for you and better for the planet. We've obviously covered the better for you part, but can you tell me a bit more about the environmental credential side of things at True Start? Yeah, definitely. So we're a certified B Corporation, and I think it's exciting how much movement the B Corp, how much traction, sorry, the B Corp movement is gaining. But I still think we've got a really long way to go. So a certified, so I'll explain a little bit what it is in case. Yeah, please. But a certified B Corporation, which for those watching, this logo is the B Corp logo on the back of our, one of our. The big B. The big B in a circle. And it means that the company in question has met the highest verified standards of social and environmental performance. And what it is, is it's this massive assessment <laughs> that typically takes businesses a very long time to complete. It covers, we love it because it is really all encompassing. So there's different sections, everything from uh, customers to workers to governance, um, your business is really ripped apart completely and really looked at in depth. And then you're given a score against their assessment criteria, which, like I say, is a very, very detailed in-depth process with, a, you know, like a, a questioning and like interview and all kinds of things. Yep. I think the average, the highest possible score is 160, I think. The average business that takes the test and um, that does the assessment gets 50 or around that. You have to get 80 in order to become certified. And True Start certified with 99.6, which is considered outstanding. So it's wow. Congratulations. And thank you. But the reason I like it so much is because I think it's the only certification that looks at the whole business instead of like a stovepipe narrow focus. And that really reflects Simon and I's entire approach to business from day one. And I think this is the same for a lot of B Corps where the idea of doing better business and being a B Corp for me is being part of a community and being part of a mindset that's ongoing it's not all certification then done because you do have to recertify as well every three years for Simon and I it reflects how we've always approached True Start we've always wanted True Start to not compromise on people on the planet to be the best product on the market in terms of taste health everything but without compromising on people through our whole value chain from farm to cup the retailers the the customers, absolutely everyone, as well as the planet. And that means that every decision we make, we try to make a decision that's going to make it easier for us to sleep at night. That's just who we are. But until the B Corp certification came along, it didn't feel it was anything that kind of reflected that approach to business, which we believe is the approach that we that we need more uh, more businesses to be adopting. Yeah, it was a very interesting assessment anyway because you're learning so much about the business and um, but last year and 
that was just over a year ago. Last year, we became certified carbon negative as well. Just back to your question about like environmental impact. credentials. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and we're the first instant coffee on the market to become carbon negative. And what that meant was because we're the first ones doing it, a lot of first times in terms of an, analyzing our supply chain, nobody's done that before. So a lot of work has gone into understanding the environmental footprint, the impact of an instant coffee supply chain. We're a very packaging heavy business because we're a product based business rather than like a service, for example. We're also coffee. So we went through this whole very in-depth process of learning about our carbon emissions, scope one, two, and three. And then we put a reduction strategy. We re reduced our emissions immediately where we could, put a reduction strategy in place, and then did a load of projects that were like avoidance and um, offsetting projects. So for example, like a forestry project in Colombia that's giving back to the communities that we buy coffee from. Amazing. I think it, it's it's so inspiring because, you know, I mean, I talk a lot about, about purpose in, in talks and workshops and, you know, we've really seen a movement in the last three or four years. We were seeing it pre-pandemic. We certainly saw it 2020 and beyond in terms of more and more consumers wanting to really feel that they the decisions they're making on the shelf are actually not having a detrimental impact on the planet. And actually also that the brands that they are supporting and that they are loyal to are yeah. transparent about how they operate and how they treat people. Um, yeah, so and I believe that the, it, our approach is almost like semi-broken, like here in the UK, but definitely globally as well. So for example, you already know that True Start is a master brand. We have all types of coffee products from fresh to even delicious sugar-free drinks, but our barista grade instant coffee is what started it all. And this is a category in food and drink that is absolutely dominated. Honestly, if it's not owned by Nestle, it's owned by Jacobs Dowegbert. It's dominated by the largest food and drink businesses in the world that I believe have a scary, really scary amount of power um, and dictate like what is going into our bodies. It's, it's insane. The power that they hold is not just over that, but it's, it's the shelves in the supermarkets. It's not just instant coffee. Like almost any category is dominated by these huge food and drink businesses. And to me, they hold so much power over the retailer, the availability, the space, um, and ultimately, and advertising, and ultimately what we are consuming. Um, that we are kind of often brainwashed and the entire value chain does not see the benefit that they that we should be seeing from the products that we're buying. And most of these businesses are not UK based. So we're in a situation, I believe, where we are paying money out to uh, companies that take that money abroad into other bank accounts in other countries in this country, we don't actually tax that revenue. Meanwhile, our public services are on their knees. I don't know the last time you tried to get a doctor's appointment, but you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's not an easy time at the moment, is it? And we need to change that. We need to have a regenerative economy that works for everyone. We can't continue with this situation where our population is being mined by megacorp organizations that genuinely do not care about the quality of what's going into your mouth but also the impact of where the pound is spent and it's something that I am 
so passionate about like we are not here to take business away from another independent business down the road that's just not what we're doing and I think all too often um independent businesses and brands are like in competition when they really shouldn't be we are here to take market share away from the big boys and show that there is a better way because I think sometimes a consumer can feel like they're almost doing a favor to a an independent business when they buy something from them when actually it's so important that that type of business exists so we've worked really hard to like price our coffee competitively to the big boys and believe me we don't have the cost efficiencies that Nestle have (laughs) but we know how important it is to be affordable for people on mass to be able to choose true start and that that is what we're on a mission to like resolve really is that broken um world order for food is that quite an extreme thing to say (laughs) no no I mean because I mean also you know we talk, we were talking about people making healthier choices during the pandemic i think part of the reason people made healthier choices was because we all had money in a in a in a strange way because the world closed down so actually so many of the overheads and cost of life people weren't going out people weren't going to you know to to cinema or or yeah. meals out or whatever so we invested a bit more in our stay at home cooking um then you enter a recession and obviously you know, the pound comes first and it's a real challenge I'd imagine for an independent like yourself to be able to cost competitively in a in a market where we've been conditioned that that cost is key but to still maintain all the great things that you're looking to do as a purpose-driven brand. Yeah absolutely and I think um, well, sometimes it's been a really key part of our strategy is making sure that the product is affordable. Sometimes I look at our megacorp competition and um, when i'm talking about competition i am talking about the megacorp and um, super established businesses the prices they're charging are the same if not higher than ours and that blows my mind and um, because i know that the margins that they're providing well, it's just margin isn't it yeah for example i know that they're less um, than what we provide so actually and i know that they're not paying their farmers as well so i'm like oh they the slice of the pie that they're keeping <laughs> is bananas and ultimately the value to the customer buying it off the shelf is it's a lower quality product you know because they're so laser focused on profit per cup independent businesses or it's like a, a family business whatever it might be generally are much more focused on quality because you've still got that real passion behind the brand quality and health and all these things that the consumer really cares about but it's so important that we are able to compete in terms of price it really is because yeah people can't afford it otherwise mm. so yeah instant coffee is like less than 10p a cup and we want a bit we want people to be able to enjoy it every day not just as a treat on a saturday morning i think the other thing you've done i mean you can you can see for those watching on youtube you can see those, all of your kind of beautiful branding behind you've you, you know you've really you've really developed this lovely brand but also a real community behind tree start yeah. i guess has that has that been pretty pivotal to your growth kind of building and then engendering that loyalty amongst your customers yeah absolutely i think um i mentioned about the events that we did in the early days and those we have always been completely obsessed with our customers and i think that's the best way of describing it we've when we were at that first event and then every event after that we got to know people that would triathlon and cycling and running is actually quite a small world so you would see the same people quite frequently at different events even though we ended up doing some really massive events but we just 
were always really obsessed with building the community around True Start and actually getting people to feel the energy in person because that's what it's all about. Like if you have someone who's in a bad mood, like if your friend is in a bad mood and you are able to cheer them up through your positivity on that day, then you can have a real impact. And that's what we did as a brand, like day in and day out in those early years at events. And that meant that very early on, we had a real like grassroots, like loyal sort of army of people who were also spreading the word for us and telling their friends and family about True Start and how it makes them feel. And my favorite reviews of True Start are always the reviews that talk about how it's made people feel like we have one that say oh it's magic in a tin or it's like a pot of sunshine in my kitchen and it's just that's exactly what I want the product to do for people when we were sort of zero to three we had a very sporty look and feel you've mentioned the look and feel of our product today mm. super colorful today isn't it and it really is all about reflecting yeah. our philosophy of like diving into life but in the early years we had a very serious looking product very sporty like eyes instead of legs right okay <laughs> and it was all about our first ever jar which was awful it looked so bad in terms of design but it said courage power focus and it said unleash yourself on it and um even though it was communicated very badly because it looked dreadful I should have one here with me really to show you it just shows that we've always existed for that reason to unlock yeah. people's potential for yes. making them but it's, it's the journey, isn't it? I already look back yeah. at things that I was putting out in late 2020, not after long, I, when I launched like a mountain. Being yeah. like, oh, I, I wouldn't, you know, you learn yeah. and you evolve. And I'm sure the things I'm doing now will be very different in five years' time. Perfect. It doesn't exist. But that first hilarious version of our product, it, it looked so bad. We did upgrade <laughs> it after about six months to what looked like a very cool but in hindsight, quite intimidating sports product. And we were like a sports coffee, really. And um, really focusing, like leading with the whole caffeine thing. And the more events we went to, we very quickly became known in the world of sport as like the coffee for sport. We were even like the coffee of like USA weightlifting, for example, across the pub becoming wow. known. About three years in, we were like, it doesn't feel, you have to read in between the lines of, people's reactions people come up to us at events and they would say oh, I've seen you in Holland and Barra or oh my friend drinks this I thought you were like a really serious coffee for elite cyclists but now I've met you I realized that it this is for me this is absolutely for me and that made us realize hearing that kind of thing time and time again that actually the look and feel of True Start did not matter it was quite intimidating and was doing the absolute opposite of who we are and what we're trying to achieve as a brand and we realized we were quite like trapped in this niche because our visual identity just wasn't working for what we were trying to achieve you would have people who were like oh my true start sits in my sports bag no one's allowed to touch it and I have it once a week before training oh, no. yeah. and then they're still drinking like Nescafe in the kitchen or whatever <laughs> and I was like oh that's that's not that's not what we're here to no. do we build a really iconic uh, brand that hopefully will be around longer than I am that has a lasting legacy and is a household name we decided after about three years to throw everything we had at almost starting again with this massive rebrand because I was like I want all of our customers I remember saying to feel um, a relief when they see the new branding because the visual identity finally matches the truth that they know and love um, 
so it, was, it felt like quite a risk at the time because we had built a good business of lots of people in the world of sport really loving our coffee and I was like no people will see it as a relief because it will be it will be a more accurate version of who they know True Start is already and we did it and when we unveiled the rebrands everyone absolutely loved it so that was that was great yeah and that was five weeks after our first son was born who's about to turn five amazing amazing and and do, do you find you still you're still getting that sports audience as well as a broader audience despite the yeah, rebrand um, yeah absolutely and it's a really important it's our roots sport is our roots and really important part of who we are We've just partnered up quite recently with DeLonghi, for example, and we do lots of uh, park run activations with those guys, going and spreading our positive energy with the fantastic DeLonghi machine, so our fresh coffee, um, to park runners across the country. And I love going to those events myself because it just, it's exactly where we started, you know? Um, and yeah, nothing feels better actually. So yeah, I guess what's really nice about that as well is you're you're involving you involving families in that. Is that are they some of the family park runs or are they the adult park runs? We've only been to the adult ones so far, but Simon and I take our son Leo to the junior park run on a Sunday locally, and there's so many parents there who could probably do do with enjoying it. It's like we might start yeah. doing. Junior ones it's interesting. I mean, I think the coffee revolution. You'll you'll know this much better than I, Helena. But when I was growing up. When I was a, when I was a young lad, I'm showing my age now, but it was always a cup of tea. You had a cup of tea. We're British. We have a cup of tea. I equate the coffee revolution broadly to the mid '90s and Friends and Central Perk, and suddenly coffees yeah. became a thing. And I would never dream of saying, "Do you want to meet up for a cup of tea with a client now or anyone?" It's always, "Do you want to meet for a coffee?" Even if coffee is not what they ultimately order. When yeah. when do you think we made this transition as a Brit as Brits who are traditionally tea drinkers? becoming coffee first very good question because i think everything you've just said it is potentially quite recent but actually what's really interesting about the uk is that we are like it or not <laughs> a nation of instant coffee drinkers we see that um most people have quite a repertoire in their coffee drinking so on our website for example we get lots of um, information on habits just from people ordering on our website lots of people will order uh, say a big bag of beans so they must have a beans cut machine or a grinder at home but then they'll also order the instant coffee with that maybe they add some drinks as well but what I find really interesting is people order fresh and instant coffee very often together and it's a quite a small minority of people who will only drink uh, fresh for example and I think that dates back to the war which is really when instant coffee was prolifically drank because it is the most convenient cost effective and we're you know heading into quite a serious recession at the moment convenient cost effective way to enjoy a cup of coffee so I think it dates back even further and actually instant coffee is the food and drink product in the UK with the highest household penetration. So it's the product that has that is in most households compared to any other food and drink product, even higher than tea, which is like tea or, amazing. is mind blowing. Um, and that's specifically instant coffee, not just coffee. And, and I think instant coffee has got such a bad reputation over the years because it is a category that's been dominated by these huge organizations that we've already talked about. So the quality is just being rubbish, <laughs> yep. you know, whereas 
we've come along with an instant coffee that uses the same like high quality specialty grade beans that you'd enjoy with our fresh coffee and the taste is completely different and even like self-confessed coffee snobs people who are like oh, i never touch instant coffee they get converted because the taste is so good the taste speaks for itself that's the whole point it's like, and, it's uh, like that old bumper sticker isn't it friend friends don't let friends drink you know, in, I won't say it, but insert name of coffee brand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we kind of like really enjoy all the, the sort of banter around it, I suppose. But we we're like, look, true start is instant coffee that you won't be ashamed of. It's instant coffee that you can really enjoy. Just try it for yourself. And um, it's like love at first try is um, a campaign that we're running at the moment because it is true. And um, actually, but it's not. But it's not going to be the, the instant. I guess isn't going to be for everyone, is it? Because I do know no, I have. I have some dear friends who would never ever dream of an in, a cup of instant coffee. And yeah. if they ever come round and say, "Oh, can I have a coffee?" I say, oh, "I've I've run out of of bean coffee, but I can do you some instant." I'm like, "No, I'm I'm fine." No, no, no I'm fine. Exactly. You might be surprised how they would react if you showed them True Star and said, look, this is instant coffee, but not as you know it, because that's what we find when we're doing tastings. People all the time are like, Whoa, would never touch instant coffee. Like, just try it, I'm not gonna kill you. <laughs> and then people bloody love it. But you are right, there are a small minority of people, it goes back to my point about instant coffee being um, the food and drink product with the highest household penetration. So a lot of people do drink it, even if it's not super often, if it's not their main coffee. Um, but they tend to be ashamed of it and like hide it in the cupboard. And that's what we're like challenging. Um, but yeah, there are a small minority of people who um, wouldn't touch instant coffee and because they really enjoy their fresh coffee and the taste is, is sort of different. So yeah, we have a whole range of fresh coffees as well because we want True Start to be enjoyed by everyone. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk about to kind of circle back to social impact and being a business for good, you have a partnership, I believe, in Malawi, um, Bags of Good. I wondered if you could kind of tell me how that came about and the impact yeah, that that's it, having. Yeah, absolutely. So a few years ago, it was actually at the Cycle Show at the NEC, which is something that we um, went to. In a, it was our first ever show um, sort of exhibition. And we went there for the first few years of True Start's existence. And Simon met the team from Cycle of Good, who are the, the like mastermind charity um, behind the impact in Malawi. So they basically have always collected like used inner tubes, Cycle of Good, the charity, um, used inner tubes from bikes yep. and sent them out to this community, a place called Chilimoni in Malawi, where they trained up a um, team of female tailors with like proper diplomas in um, dressmaking and real education to turn these inner tubes into amazing products like um, belts and, and wallets and, and bags and different things. And then those are all bought back at a fair price and sold on in retail um, across the UK. And this is like what they do. And the women in Malawi that, um, they work with have got things that are completely unheard of in Malawi like sick pay and holiday pay and pensions and things that we probably take for granted a bit over here and um, basically Simon was chatting to them and ultimately ended up saying well our coffee comes in like hessian sacks obviously I think a lot of people know that sometimes you see like cushions made out of the hessian yep. sacks um, and actually, that's an amazing, believe it or not, these Hessian sacks are often 
across the country, different roasteries, just get kind of chucked in the bin. Um, yeah, they were just wasted in whatever way, shape or form. They're actually quite beautiful. Mm. Um, and they had this idea to utilise those Hessian sacks um, as a material to make other products. So bags, I wish I had one to hand actually, um, that are very strong. So the inner tubes from the bikes are used for straps, etc. And um, yeah, then that's a new whole product range that's then also bought back at a fair price and sold on in retail. Oh, Simon's actually just gone to get me one across the country. Oh, look at this. Here's one. Fantastic. <laughs> um, this is the shopper bag, and you can see the straps there made out of the um, tires, the inner tubes. Incredible. Good logo here, which is yep. also made out of inner tubes. And um, yeah, it's just like a proper circular feel good thing um mm. and the hessian is now collected from roasteries all across the country not just true style which is actually something that i think is amazing amazing i absolutely love that i love yeah. the logo the cycle for good logo is brilliant as well what a brand identity yeah. that is awesome. awesome charity so i wanted we touched on this earlier when i was introducing you i wanted to talk around neurodiversity yeah. um so i know helena that you're a very proud neurodiversity champion and we've we've spoken off air that I've been on a journey myself of, of discovery since my, my son's autism diagnosis a few years ago. Can you tell me a bit about your own neurodiversity journey, kind of how you've come on a come on a journey of learning more about ADHD and learning about yourself and from a business standpoint, how you've channeled that into True Start? Yeah, absolutely. No one knew anything about ADHD. That's like nearly 30 years ago. No one knew anything. And um and actually, I've asked my dad in recent years, what did you think it was? If I asked you then what ADHD was and now, would you give the same answer? He said no. So okay. he understands that 30 years ago, he thought that it was a behavioral condition, as did everybody, um, that fundamentally needed uh, changing yeah, within the person. Mm -hmm. And now he understands that it's a neurological condition that needs understanding and adjusting to. And in many ways, I was very lucky that I was diagnosed and my parents have always been incredibly supportive, but also they were completely in the dark, right? I have had like a really weird journey with ADHD because I always pretended it didn't exist. So when I hit adulthood, certainly, I think I never wanted it to be in my head, also not understanding it myself. I never wanted it to become like an excuse for not succeeding. So I literally pretended it didn't exist and almost forgot about it. I think, for example, Simon, Simon knew that I had ADHD, but he, so we must have mentioned it, but it was never, ever spoken about or a part of my life. It wasn't whatsoever. a defining characteristic. It was just there no, in the background. It, it, a thing in my head whatsoever and I maybe almost thought that I'd grown out of it um which I now know is not possible um, and I certainly wasn't behaving like I'd grown out of it <laughs> but basically for the year or so before the pandemic I could not shake the feeling that I needed to like break through some sort of existential ceiling that I'd um hit up against and I was feeling like really quite lost in myself and this is before COVID came along and my mind felt like quite out of control um sometimes and I just felt like I needed something more but I had no idea what that was because I'm lucky in a lot of ways I've got a brilliant uh, family husband business friends and um, so it wasn't anything to do with any of those things but during 
lockdown one, Simon and I were watching like a really random TV show called Race Across the World. Um, yeah, fact, yeah, love that. Very, um, but like the first series, I think, or the second, there was a young guy aged about 20 who was entering into his adult life struggling with with his ADHD. And I had a literal light bulb moment <laughs> that when when I was seven, I was diagnosed. And it sounds really strange, but I literally remembered that I have ADHD. And um, it was this combination of having two babies. So during that first lockdown, I had a three month old baby and a 21 month old toddler. So it's quite an intense time. Mm -hmm. And so the massive change in environment that you know comes along with having children, plus the stress of lockdown where, you know, TrueStart lost 95% of our customers and revenue and everybody's got their own stories from the lockdown, but that additional stress had triggered like much more severe symptoms than usual. And watching this show and this guy, I did just suddenly remember that I have ADHD. And it sounds weird, but that is what happened. And cue like a massive hyperfocus. And I'm sure you know that this is like a hallmark of neurodivergent brains really frequently. Is It's like an intense focus on subjects that I'm interested in. Because our brains are wired for interest rather than information. So I learned like absolutely loads in a really short space of time about ADHD. And I started to, life just started to make quite a lot of sense. And I learned that I experienced daily life quite differently from a neurotypical person. I'm feeling emotional, Ben. <laughs> I spoke to, to Pete Warmby on this podcast a little while ago, who wrote Untypical How the World Isn't Built for Autistic People. He speaks a lot about special interests and uh, monotropism. So what you're talking about there, that kind of hyper fixation on a topic and but like you he was where well, his story is a bit different but he was diagnosed when he was 34 and so he's been on an adult journey but it sounds like there's been a lot of similarities Hanler, in, in terms of yeah and also I always had this like adult diagnosis experience when I remembered because um, I've heard people talk about this grief um when they get diagnosed or in my case when they remember that they were diagnosed as a child yeah. where everything makes sense and you can stop beating yourself up and you can be kinder to yourself and go there isn't actually anything wrong with me because believe me when you're trying to live in a society that is not really set up for how your brain works you spend most of your days wondering what the hell is wrong with you and actually that that relief and realization of there isn't anything wrong with me I'm just wired differently to a lot of other people is relieving but it's also quite upsetting for the for the person who has been so stressed and confused and sad for so long when I learned more about what ADHD actually is which is a genetic neurobiological condition don't get me started on the word disorder not a fan but it's called caused by impaired neurotransmitter activity in one or more areas of the brain and fundamentally really oversimplifying it people brains with ADHD are living with a consistently lower dopamine level than a neurotypical person, um, which means that there's lots of symptoms um, associated, which um, I can go into, but probably <laughs> there's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, but basically, I learned that my daily life is quite different um, to lots of other people. And that was quite mind blowing and still is to me now. So for example, 
audio sensitivity. So sensitivity is quite a big thing for neurodivergent people, as I'm Mm -hmm. sure you know. Just if I take one of those, um, audio sensitivity for me, I can like hear things that, or things physically hurt my brain, like cause me pain that other people can't even hear. Mm. And that realization is still mind blowing to me. And it is challenging um, on a daily basis if you've got a brain that can literally hear noises that other people can't hear and not only hear them, but they're causing you pain. Um, And just, it really explains why there's so much additional stress layered on. Our brains and bodies are under a lot of daily stress. Yeah, so I learned a lot about myself. I think the big thing for me was that I was able to give myself a bit of a break and also start to credit a lot of things that I've come to love about myself with my ADHD um, or to my ADHD as well. How, how do you how do you manage it? Because it sounds like you've you've really spent spent the last few years learning a lot about yourself and kind of coming, you know, kind of going, you, you, you know, you talked about grief, which I completely get. I guess part of that grief is, is it perhaps wishing that you had come to this realisation earlier and being a bit regretful for time that's passed? Or is it, or how would you describe that grief? Once I had a therapist where we did a session of, um, I can't really remember the purpose of the session. This was actually before the ADHD sort of light bulb moment as well. But it was all about like um, getting like the quieter self. It was about different sides of the brain, getting the quieter self to come forward and like, like the primary thing facing the world and talking. And I just remember my like, quiet person inside is like this really like sweet little girl who who's who's just there going I'm but I'm a good girl I'm I'm just a good girl who's oh gosh this is ridiculous sorry Um, I'm a good girl who's just um wanting other people to know that really calmly and really didn't have anything to say at all which is unlike me I've got lots to say all the time (laughs) and now I look back and it's that little girl that I'm grieving for because there was a Harvard study which um showed that by the age of 12 a child with ADHD so whether it's diagnosed or undiagnosed has received on average 20 additional negative criticisms yeah Mm. versus um, their neurotypical peers during school hours so that is three additional negative criticisms per day during school hours versus their neurotypical peers Mm. and those criticisms are probably things that we don't really think about the impact of like sit still be quiet all of these things that I'm sure you can imagine lots more well it's it's all the things I'm acutely aware of as a as a parent to an autistic child because this is my my son masks terribly at school so much he's he's done such an incredible job over the last five years of primary school education masking and trying to hide who he is and and receiving those same comments you know when he when he stims in class when he makes noises when he he does things that are not within the world of the neurotypical but of yeah. the things that he needs to do to make it through a day in an environment that, quite frankly, isn't really fit for his purpose. Yeah, I know. And it's so hard because all of society is completely set up. So we understand why it's hard, like in a classroom as well. So for me, I've always been a mover. I cannot keep still and like this is about as still as you'll ever get me, like sitting here being quite animated. I, I pinned you down to a screen for an hour, haven't I? Like, Yeah, exactly. But I 
just find it really hard to sit still. Relaxing for me is not sitting still unless I crash out. <laughs> and, um, and I think, but equally, um, visual stimulation is quite difficult. Um, visual disruption is quite difficult for me to process. So if there is somebody else who is not sitting still <laughs> in my vicinity when I'm feeling very uh, particularly sensitive, because obviously you have different days. I find that really hard to deal with. So I definitely understand just even from that perspective. Yeah, so I'm, so I'm going to I'm going to address the elephant in the room um, that you are sharing an office with your husband. Yeah. Um, whilst we record that, how how do you find sharing a sharing a space? Because I know for my son, I mean, he you know he shuts himself away when he wants to concentrate I shut myself away when I work yes. and I like to be on my own when I work yeah. that's something I've learned about myself during COVID yeah. but but clearly it works for you to have that to work in close proximity with your other half it does however in the last hour he has done the tiniest <laughs> little like tapping on the tables that's like about <laughs> to hold myself back and going Simon shut up and they're tiny like imperceptible probably to most people um but Simon is actually um very very like in his own world and focused on his work too when he's sat at his desk so it really does work and I don't know I think we understand each other really deeply also so India on our team um who isn't here today but she usually sits next to me I find her presence a really positive thing and I feed off positive energy and um, so yeah I think when I'm hyper focusing I do need silence and I might put headphones on or earplugs mm -hmm. in but I think the guys also really understand yes I'm, I'm the same I always say to, to anyone I'm working with if my headphones are in then I'm not here I'm literally yeah. just ignore me and it's that understanding and I think understanding other people's perspective is absolutely critical the key to us all becoming just more tolerant of one another because I have I sort of made up this example recently imagine you were talking because I think people get so wrapped up in their own perspective we all do this that you can get really like oh what the hell is wrong with that person for being different to me and when someone is different to you I think our reaction can often be really, really negative in society. So you're talking about stimming in a classroom environment and kids that need to move. And actually that could be quite disruptive for the rest of the class, but they need it in order to, mm. so you have to balance like really different needs across the board. And instead of like, trying to force everyone into the same round hole or square peg into a round hole thing, square square hole, round hole, I don't know. Um, actually understanding is what's key because if, imagine if you were talking to somebody who was colorblind, yeah? Mm -hmm. And imagine if they were a kid and they didn't even know themselves yet that they're colorblind. And you're having like a massive argument with them about whether or not that wall is, red or green and you literally cannot understand how on earth they're arguing about something that's so bloody obviously do you remember wrong. the um do you remember the green and what was it the, the golden blue dress that did the rounds on the internet about five years ago and how that divided everyone that was fascinating yeah, yeah it, it absolutely fascinating and like in this scenario if you can imagine you just are completely dumbfounded by how this person is telling you you're wrong, who is quite obviously a green wall. What are you talking about? Until you realize that they're colorblind and it is fundamentally their perception that is entirely different from your own. Yeah. And I think 
that helps me personally when I'm feeling particularly sensitive and if stress levels are high um, or for me, if I haven't eaten, um, for example, then my sensitivities of which there are a lot can become quite unbearable. Um, I just try and remember, sometimes it's harder than others, um, that other people, their movement or their noises or that they're doing those for their own reasons. It's yep. coming from inside themselves. And it does help me to go try and try and sort of. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a, I have a, I never sit still and have a twitchy foot and it drives my wife mad. We'll be watching TV in evenings and I'll be twirling my yeah. foot, but it calms me. It's just yeah. my, I mean, it, it, again, back to that conversation with Pete Warmby, he was talking about how actually everyone stims. You might not realize it, but actually all human beings at every level of neurotypical neurodivergent society, we do little movements or little taps or things because yeah. as we're, we're not really designed to sit still as yeah. human beings. Um, I mean, I'm really passionate. I'm about using this podcast as an opportunity to, to you know, to share all these different perspectives. And I, I'm yeah. so grateful to you. I know it's not easy to talk about, but I'm so grateful to you for, for sharing this because, you know, the more that we see, you know, brilliant business leaders like yourself, you know, running fantastic brands and doing good in the world, but also actually being very real about themselves as human beings for better. Yeah. I do think one of the the very good things that came out of the terrible situation that was COVID was a real sense that we could start to break down barriers and start to bring our true selves to the workplace much more so than yeah. what was ever success acceptable before. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And actually talk about emotions as well yeah. really openly and um i think because emotion... there was this big quest for work-life balance for years and actually the key to the key to work-life balance is not seeing work and life as two separate yeah. segmented things but have to sit in apart from one another yeah absolutely if you feel that you have to be two different people at work or not at work i think that would be really really challenging i have felt that in my past like before true start um and I, I, it's always like ultimate masking isn't it and it doesn't help with your mental health and I think emotions for me are probably a really big one actually with um in terms of day daily challenges with ADHD I find emotions um very hard to regulate so um this is really common for people with ADHD and I feel them really deeply and I think I want to talk about this because it's another example of different perspectives that I think is really important for people to maybe hear. I have this like paralyzing level of empathy for others. And I find that quite often really overwhelming. And, you know, I liken it sometimes to people who can see sound as colors. Have you heard of mm -hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. So um, I feel emotion physically through every bone in my body. So you know when you get like butterflies in your tummy, mm. that, but for almost every day-to-day -day emotion, like really extremely, so that can be quite euphoric, but it can also be very fre frequently very painful. And this was a key area along with the audio thing that I am mind blown that other people, I used to really just think like, how are the people just going through life like, like hiding that pain so well? And the fact that they're not feeling it just explains everything. There is a condition called RSD, rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is only known to coexist with ADHD. Um, so it's the serious and intense physical pain that is related to rejection. And that rejection could be perceived rejection as well as real rejection. So I've got this really badly and I get really clouded judgment on just the tiniest of comments. Um, but generally only people that I'm very, very close to, because that's when the rejection, that's when it mm. feels like 
objection because yeah. if it's a stranger I just don't I'm not bothered but an example could be as simple as Simon um asking me a completely normal question like have you put out the recycling and I'll take it as just a huge criticism um, mm-hmm. that I haven't done it so I'll feel physical pain and because of that I'll get disproportionately upset and defensive and even like angry with him and in a worst case scenario that can lead to a rage sort of meltdown which I actually have suffered from a lot less over the past couple of years than before and um, but it just takes a huge effort to pull myself out of that clouded headspace and that's really exhausting in itself but in these situations it's really important that Simon and I have a mutual understanding of where one another is coming from because it's not just me that like needs kind of help in that situation he's like whoa what have I done and that will create a defensiveness there so we both need to be able to go oh wait a minute we're both like miscommunicating here yeah. um, in a way that's sort of been triggered by my brain, but actually then just being calm together is the way forward, which is not always easy. But yeah, that understanding of the perspectives of one another is like so critical to daily life, I think. Because otherwise you just spend your whole daily life really frustrated with other people that are different yeah. to you. Yeah, um, especially, especially when you become a, you know, obviously you've gone through this journey whilst or you know whilst becoming a parent in the early days of being a parent so you've also got to bear in mind you know how you're kind of paying forward that behavior haven't you and learn what works for you so that you're not going to have those same interactions with your children yeah absolutely and I think it helps for people um all people to understand these perspectives because like it could happen at work with your colleagues like your colleague could get like upset or defensive when you ask them something simple like have you followed up with x and you might be taken by surprise i think they're being a tad unreasonable (laughs) but it could be that your question they their brain has perceived your question as like a rejection of their capabilities so it's caused this disproportionate response that the person also probably then beats themselves up for as well so it's this vicious cycle and i just think if we can all listen to other people's daily experiences it will help us understand each other better and help us be more tolerant and helpful and kind to one another. And ultimately that will unlock more people's brains, people who are trying, spending way too much energy proportionately every day to try and either fit in or just function within society. Those brains are quite locked up in terms of their actual potential because so much energy is being spent on trying to fit in. Yeah. So looking at the potential of ADHD, then what what does it bring to you in terms of, you know, running tree start? You know, how has it kind of helped kind of supercharge this business? Oh, good question. I mean, I, I do credit now my own ADHD with all the things that I've come to love about myself, um, which is, is great uh, because it's very different to how I felt before that light bulb moment, because despite the challenges and there are a lot of challenges I do consider it a superpower as well and some people don't like that word because I think it can sometimes give off the impression that you're like the next Einstein or something and I know that some people may have the reaction to finding out that somebody is neurodivergent they might have the reaction of going oh what's your superpower then what are you amazing at you would never ask that about a sort of typical child for example you'd never go what's your child's superpower so I think the word can be quite um a challenge in itself um but the flip side for me to ADHD has 
got the power to change the world and improve the way that we all live actually because in a positive dopamine flowing environment so the type of environment that my brain flourishes in hyperactivity uh, manifests as drive like there is an absolute flip side without ADHD I'm not sure I'd have the audacity to go toe-to-toe with some of the biggest food businesses in the world <laughs> to prove there's a better way we've talked about hyper focus and it's very hard for an adhd brain to focus on boring things but actually that inability to focus on boring things in the right environment switches to a completely abnormal ability and <laughs> um, to focus really intensively on subjects that i love and make really fantastic progress in i'm also most of the time I'm hugely positive and that again is thanks to the way my brain works because I'm all about optimism and good energy um, and it's because really I literally can't get anything done without positive emotion and positive energy because negative vibes literally knock me for six and they kind of suck the life out of me and I kind of think of it as I have like crazy levels of energy, uh, mental and physical energy and when you mix that with negative emotion that energy turns on itself and it feels like I'm kind of attacking myself inside in terms of my internal monologue everything but when that massive amount of physical and mental energy is mixed with positive emotion in the environment I feel like I can channel it and I literally feel that I can take on the world and that any I can make anything happen and um for that reason, when I'm in the right environment, I do have boundless energy and loads of love to give. Um, so I might find it hard to relax <laughs> in a traditional way, but I definitely do make things happen. And there's other ways that my brain really helps in a sort of business sense as well. So when um, I'm in, when there is like a crisis, ADHD brains, and this is where I really see um, my brain be cool and calm and collected because we're really used to processing high volumes of information with very little uh, filter. So high volumes of high priority information all of the time. So in an emergency scenario that might completely throw somebody else's way of filtering information that's coming in, actually an ADHD brain is in its element. It's like, oh, I'm used to processing like loads and loads of high priority information. Normally our brains don't um, prioritize information that's coming in like on a day-to-day so we can things that you might filter out naturally with noises etc don't get filtered out but in an emergency situation where there is a lot more high priority information an adhd brain goes cool i know how to cope with this and actually our brains can be very very calm in those scenarios so you can compartmentalize and say right this is the one thing now that gets my full attention in that scenario and also just see the wood for the trees because we're not overloaded by all of the information that's coming in an emergency or a surprise scenario because our brains are trained. They're used to being overloaded with information. And typical brain might go, Christ, this is too much information and it's all really important. How do I filter it and like manage it? Whereas an ADHD brain goes, oh, I'm used to doing this. So it feels quite natural to me. So actually it feels quite, we see really high levels of ADHD in like emergency workers, for example, and doctors and firefighters and all these sort of emergency sessions for that. And I I would also imagine in my, in my profession in the PR industry as well, because we aren't always on kind of always in a, always in a crisis, always ready industry as well. Probably quite prevalent there. 
brains of ADHD can sometimes also seem to notice things that other people miss for that same reason. So even though sometimes if, if the subject isn't interesting to my brain, I can be like, oh, I, I couldn't care less about any detail, anything to do with it at all. But if I am interested, the level of detail, like the detail orientedness <laughs> and yeah. um, the intuitiveness is quite extreme. And again, because I'll notice information that others may naturally filter out. Um, so that intuitiveness and detail orientatedness is quite a hallmark as well. It's a fascinating area because it's just so subjective. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, but actually differently and autism. Yeah, well, it's the, hum it's the human condition. We're all different, aren't we? And I think the sooner that we accept that actually there is no such thing as neurotypical because yeah. everyone's, you know, everyone's wired differently. Everyone sees the world differently. And the yeah. sooner we just allow people to be like um, going back to stimming, the sooner that we can just kind of go, all right, yeah, there's a person stimming. Cool. Yeah, exactly that. Whatever. I think, <laughs> yeah. And I think um, if we go back to words like superpower, I do think that... Um, those have come out because people are trying to like go oh but i'm really like listen like I, I do have like good things too and we shouldn't be thinking like that we're talking about humans and actually what i talk about quite a lot is that none of us we humans all humans are normal there is no normal the word neurodiversity includes everyone on the planet that is what mm -hmm. diversity is when we talk about neurotypical and neurodivergent you're talking about kind of a bell curve where the majority of people sit within this typical part of the spectrum then you've got the divergent brains that are less typical to the majority of people but every single brain is different just like every single fingerprint is different we all have something completely unique to bring to the party it doesn't matter who you are and what type of brain you have. Sometimes labels can be really helpful in understanding the, uh, the type of brain that we have. Um, so I would never want to diminish that because it certainly helped me. But actually, like you say, it's that realization that we are all unique and actually we all have something brilliant to bring to the party and unlocking that by making one another feel good about ourselves is key for me to actually the human race flourishing full stop. We've got some really big challenges to address as humanity. And I think that if we have everybody's brains unlocked <laughs> and able to sort of reach their own potential, then we'll do a much better job rather than sort of feeling crappy about ourselves. Yeah, which absolutely. Makes us, makes us um, go into a sort of survival mode where we don't think creatively, we don't think laterally. Um, we go into this like survival mode of fight, flight, <clears throat> freeze. And what we want is for our brains to be opened up and able to use all corners of it and think creatively. Absolutely. Well, I want to finish up by talking about legacy, really. So in, in two questions. So, so one, you, you, you know, you've talked about, you know, having, having Leo and moving yeah. into, I know you've got two children, haven't you? Um, so, you know, talk about your children and this being a very family run business. Do you hope one day that this potentially moves on? 
generationally and you can you can you can you see the future of tree start being that far in advance no i can't in in all honesty because i would never ever ever want leo and arthur to feel that they had to do something that wasn't right for them and we joke all the time like <laughs> they have a lot to do with coffee it's good because they realize that they're not allowed to drink it for adults <laughs> but leo like makes little coffee shops like you know and yeah. he wants you to come and buy a can of coffee off him <laughs> or whatever it is so it's very much a part of their life I, I hope you really kind of question them in terms of provenance and ethics and yeah, 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 yeah absolutely <laughs> and they they absorb and know like a mad amount for like a three and a four year old yeah. um because they're around it all of the time but it absolutely might not be something that they want to do going forward and i would never like force them into that so no. I don't know what the future of True Start looks like, but what I do know is that we want it to be, in terms of like the day-to-day, -day, I mean, but what we want for True Start is for it to be a trailblazing in terms of the way business is done and used as a force for good and iconic household name that is really known and loved and valued by everybody the farmers that grow the coffee, the people who drink it, absolutely everybody in between, for being a brand that really brings something to your life and like you enjoy it. And I want that to, I want True Start to be around for longer than I am. It, like a lasting legacy, you know? Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean Leo and Arthur have to do it, <laughs> um, but that's what we want for True Start. Yeah. That's not going to happen overnight either. Um, I think often people talk about like overnight successes. And I remember there was a talk from, I think it was the founder of Oatly and the title was like the 30 year overnight success. And I just thought it's hilarious because it's so true that suddenly Oatly came out of nowhere. They've been going for like 30 years. Can you mm. imagine plug oat milk 30 years ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would have thought he was absolutely mental. Um, but yeah, so we don't see, uh, we're not like in this for a quick win we are really building something long lasting and we want to do that in all the right ways and that's going to take time you know i believe it's consistency it's showing up it's having purpose and it's being true to that purpose and yeah. if you do all those things eventually you will stand out and you are standing out yeah um, exactly and it's a challenge early on is that you're doing all those things but because you've only been doing it for a short period of time you've got to have time in the market to prove that you're going to be committed to that longer term. And now after eight years, people do definitely see Truestar as what we have always known it is. And like, it's, it's nice to, to see that, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I interview, um, you know, purpose-driven individuals from all over the world, from all walks of life, but I always love to end every episode with, something that's a bit of a practical takeaway. And in your example, I think that really comes down to building a, a challenger brand because you've done that successfully in a in a really crowded and big boy dominated marketplace. Um, yeah. For anyone that's maybe listening today who has an idea or is in that very early stage of mapping out an idea or maybe has just brought something to market, but it's not quite captured light yet. Have you got any advice looking back now, eight years on um, that you would share or, you know, really bringing a challenger brand to market and, and sticking true to your vision? Specifically to that question, I would say every time Simon and I have gone against our gut instinct, we have been wrong. 
and it can be really I remember in the early days there was so much opportunity when you're starting out that like 90% of it's irrelevant stuff just starts to come at you when you start to put yourself out there and um, that actually and because you're so new to it all well we obviously where we haven't done anything like true start before it was like first time founders apart from sort of a little lifestyle business that we did alongside our jobs before it took us a good couple of years to if not longer to start to understand what our gut instinct even sounded like and then to have the confidence to listen to it took a lot of mistakes a lot of not listening to it and then going oh that went wrong and um and then going actually next time I'm not going to do that I knew that was the wrong decision <laughs> next time I'm going to listen to my gut and it took years to get the confidence to go no that's that's the right thing to do that's not the right thing to do I'm not talking about like ethics or anything like that I'm talking about like strategy yeah um, you often do really know the right answer um but it can be very much unconscious so really tuning into yourself um and not being afraid to fail so the first version of our product you, I'm sure it can be found on Google it was in a jar and it just looked um dreadful but we brought it to market and it it was the first iteration of true start and sometimes people I think um want to bring something very perfect to market but I'm telling you now this is not you know the current packaging today this is not the finished article everything's an evolution so I would say to just get out there if you have an idea don't be afraid to put it out there put yourself out there I think it's quite surprising the responses people people might come forward and be much more helpful than you ever expected for example um and yeah I think just getting out there and doing it not being afraid to fail starting to understand what your gut instinct feels like and really listening to it um and that kind of directs you I suppose that's awesome well well for anyone who kind of wants to kind of keep in touch with what you're doing now find out more about true start this has been a great conversation today and we've learned a lot but where can people find you online and on social media test your uh, knowledge and have all your handles yeah i will truestartcoffee.com and at truestartcoffee is um, our handle whether you're on instagram or, or whatever and um you can go down to your local co-op as well and pick up some of our delicious coffee um if you want to feel awesome without a crash <laughs> without jitters so um yeah that's that's probably the best please do give us a follow at truestartcoffee um i think we're quite fun to follow <laughs> loads of and loads of loads of fun stuff yeah i agree well let's thank you so much for your time today i've really enjoyed you know the honesty the passion you brought to this i wish i could kick off every day of a two-hour conversation with you quite frankly because it's uh you know just full of positivity so thank you helena you're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me there. Thank you. Thanks for Helen for being on today's show. It's been great to learn about the purpose and passion behind Tree Start. I cannot wait to see where the journey leads for the brand and for Helen Lynette. And thank you to you for being part of today's episode of the Journey to the Second Mountain podcast. You can find all of our past inspiring conversations over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and you can see the lovely faces of my guests, just like Helena, over on our YouTube channel. Just search for hashtag Good Journeys Pod. So that is it for today. My guest has been Helena Hills of True Start Coffee. I've been Benville from Second Mountain. This has been the Good Journeys Pod. So until next time, let's keep climbing together and I'll see you all again soon.